0: Behold the power of his word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your word today might be powerful to each one of us. That the Holy Spirit would take these things written down for us and impress them upon our hearts that we would be changed and transformed by them. For Jesus' sake. amen. Amen. Isn't it an amazing moment when you know you've been accepted? Isn't it always an amazing moment when you discover that someone else has accepted you? It's the email you've been waiting for all week, tells you that the job is yours. It's the position you've been dreaming of and they want you to start in just a month's time. Or your child comes home from school and they are beaming from ear to ear. They have got the starring role in the school play. Or the estate agent brings you up and says the seller has accepted your offer. You can't stop thinking about what it will be like when you move in. We celebrate those times, don't we, when we get accepted by someone. Perhaps especially because we remember all the other occasions when we weren't accepted. Because more often than not, the email says that there was a better candidate for the job. On most days after school, another child comes out to the classroom, beaming from ear to ear. And usually there's another buyer who can make a better offer on the house. Rejection, not acceptance, is what we usually experience in life. And maybe, just maybe, we wonder, it's like that with Jesus too. Maybe you're here this morning and you're aware that you're not yet a Christian. You're thinking about the Christian life, but you're looking in from the outside and you're not sure how it could ever be real for you. Because deep down it seems unrealistic that God would ever accept you. Maybe thoughts have gone round your head a bit like this. I'm a novice when it comes to Christianity. How could I ever know enough? I've spent all my life keeping God at arm's length. Why would he ever want to accept me? Done a whole load of things God is going to be cross with me about. I'm ashamed of them. Is that how life works with Jesus? Rejection rather than acceptance? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian person, you probably don't believe in your head that it's like that. In our heads, we probably believe Jesus accepts everyone. But in our hearts, I wonder are we really sure that that's true? When we're honest with ourselves, don't we look at some people and think that person is just too far away. They're too far gone to be accepted by Jesus. Maybe their lifestyle runs totally counter to what the Bible teaches. And they've been living it for so long now, it seems impossible that they would ever turn it around. Maybe it's their worldview. In their mind, there is just no space whatsoever for God. There's zero interest in discovering more. Do we really believe that Jesus accepts people like that? People in our families, our friends, people at work, people on the streets where we live. Will they ever experience that wonderful moment of being accepted by Jesus? Do they stand any chance of receiving all the blessings he came to give to them? Forgiveness, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, a place in his family. What sort of person can be accepted by Jesus? Whether we're still looking in on Christianity from the outside or whether we're already in and we're wondering who else could come in and join us, today's passage shows us God's answer to that question. As we come face to face with a desperate woman at her wits end and a faceless hungry crowd who can't feed themselves because all of them receive Jesus' wonderful acceptance. And that is a sign that our friends can receive it too. But it is a surprising acceptance. Let's have a start at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And Before I started this job, um, Commission took a few of us away down to South Devon uh, for a few days. And it was a really nice time, but it was a very long way to go for 48 hours. But that was the point. It was a retreat. It was a, an opportunity to get away from London, to meet together to recharge our batteries. And uh, Jesus goes off on a retreat on his own. He's just had a difficult encounter with the Jewish leaders. They've come all the way up from Jerusalem to to Galilee. And now Jesus heads even further north, uh, 50 miles away, to Tyre and Sidon. But his peace and quiet is soon interrupted. And in the conversation that follows, we learn our first lesson, which is this. Even undeserving outsiders can demand the Messiah's mercy. Even undeserving outsiders can demand the Messiah's mercy. Verse 22 A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. (coughs) Now, perhaps the alarm bells began ringing. When we read verse 21, because if we know um, our Old Testament a little bit, we might know that Tyre and Sidon were undisputed enemies of the people of God. But once we read verse 22, the warning siren should become deafening, because Matthew uses a word that is very deliberately stirring the pot of racial tension. A Canaanite woman came to him. Just over a week ago, England lost to the Czech Republic in Prague. And it was pointed out um, on the radio that the only time they'd won in Prague was in 1908. And back then, the country they were playing against was called Bohemia. It's a nation which no longer exists except in the history books. And it's a bit like that with this Canaanite woman because her nation no longer exists. Her passport wouldn't have said Canaanite. Jesus and his disciples didn't walk past a a sign that said, welcome to Canaan. Because the Canaanite nation had been judged and destroyed by gods. They were ancient history. But that history is still relevant, which is why Matthew uses this word, a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites, they lived in the Promised Land before the people of God arrived. And they worshipped all sorts of other gods. They practised all sorts of evil. And so they faced destruction and judgment at the hands of a holy God. So God said this about them in the old testament deuteronomy 9 verse 5 he said to his people it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land that is the canaanites land but on account of the wickedness of these nations the lord your god will drive them out before you you see they were a judged nation and now matthew says one of these people dares to approach jesus a woman who has lived her whole life without reference to God. She's ignored him since the day she was born. She's taken the Creator's good gifts, but she's never thanked him. She's worshipped anything and everything else. She belongs to a people already rejected and destroyed by God. One of these people comes to Jesus and interrupts his quiet prayer retreat. What is going to happen next? She came to him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Now she seems to know enough about Jesus to call him Lord, Son of David. She recognizes, in other words, that some people around her recognize that he is Israel's Messiah. He's the promised king come to rule and save his people. And maybe she wonders who knows, I can persuade him to save me too because she is in a desperate place. If you're a parent and you've ever experienced pain on behalf of a suffering child, you'll have an idea how this woman must have been feeling. Maybe for you it was an illness or an injury. Maybe it was loneliness or bullying at school. Maybe it was anxiety or mental health issues or learning difficulties. Whenever a parent sees their child suffer, they always want things to get better. And this woman is no different to any of us. She's in immense pain. Her daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She's absolutely desperate. And Jesus' response is utterly shocking. Jesus did not answer her a word. And what's more, his attitude only seems to get worse. His disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. In other words, Jesus, we're supposed to be here for some R and R. Can't you just do what she wants so she'll go away and we'll get some peace and quiet? He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now he's speaking to his disciples, but the woman is still in earshot and his, his words are not hard to understand. She's none of my business. I didn't come for the likes of her. Undeterred, she carries on. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Now she's not shouting from a distance. Now she's there at his feet, begging him for help. And then come Jesus' most cutting words of all. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. One commentator I was reading describes Jesus' attitude like this. Brutal, offensive, the worst kind of chauvinism, incredible insolence, atrocious. Perhaps as we read those words, it reminds us of another recent England football match when all the fallout was about racist chanting in the stands. Whatever happened to gentle Jesus meek and mild? Where is the compassion we've seen in recent weeks? How can he be so heartless? Well I hope that you agree with me that there must be more going on than meets the eye. Let's have a think about what that might be. Back in chapter 10 Jesus sent his disciples on their own mission and he said something similar to them as he says about himself here. In chapter 10 verse 5 he said, Do not go among the Gentiles, or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that he came, first of all, as the Jewish Messiah. His number one priority was to fulfil God's promises to save and rescue the people of Israel. Jesus didn't come, first of all, for all the other nations. And that is why he used such challenging language to this woman. Language like this. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, I know that some of us here at at church are dog lovers. And um, maybe you do give them some of your leftovers. Perhaps they hoover up um, what the children drop from the table. But the Jews were not a nation of dog lovers. Dogs were unclean animals. Unsurprisingly, to call someone a dog was a massive insult. The Gentiles, especially the Canaanites, they're the dogs, not the children. They have no right, no claim, on the Jewish Messiah, no right to receive his blessing, which is why we had those verses from Ephesians chapter 2 read. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, remember that at that time you were alienated from Christ, sorry, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the natural state of the Gentile person, the natural state of you and me. So was Jesus being rude, xenophobic, bigoted and racist? Of course he wasn't. Was he challenging her to admit that she deserved nothing from him? That's exactly what he's doing. And, and yet she rises to that challenge with the most wonderful, extraordinary boldness. You look at her words, verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, Jesus, in other words, sorry. No, Jesus, you're wrong. I do have a right to your blessing. I may be a Canaanite dog, but you're my master, and I demand that you feed me. I, deserve the bre- I don't deserve the bread. I'll take the crumbs. Don't turn me away. Heal my daughter, as you've healed many others in Israel. You see, she may be a total outsider, but she still demands the Messiah's mercy with a fierce boldness that won't take no for an answer. And Jesus' response is absolutely wonderful. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. This is the only time in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus says to someone, you have great faith. All those other people he meets, she's the only one. He describes her faith in such stellar terms. She goes down in history as the woman who wouldn't let Jesus say no to her. Which I think is exactly what Jesus was aiming at all along. He wanted her to grasp that amazing truth that the people of God are not meant to be a holy huddle. See, he always planned that his mercy would overflow from them to the world outside, so that even undeserving outsiders could demand the Messiah's mercy and find acceptance from him. Maybe today you're conscious that you're an outsider, that you don't know much about the Christian faith. It's alien and foreign to you. Either through ignorance or through rebellion, you've turned away from God. You've taken God's gifts, but never really given thanks to him. There are many things in your life you're ashamed of. And if you're honest, you know that you don't deserve his acceptance. Well, if that is you this morning, let Jesus' response to this woman's amazing boldness encourage you. She's an outsider. She knows she deserves nothing but judgment. And yet she demands mercy. And she gets it. She's accepted. She's rescued by him. See, if, like her, we come to Jesus with that faith that says, I know I deserve nothing, but I'm going to demand it from you, Jesus, not because of who I am, but because of who you are, we can be 100% sure that we will receive it too. But how can we be sure that this woman's experience wasn't a one-off? What about our friends today who seem too far off, or too far gone for Jesus? How can we have confidence that maybe one day they will experience Jesus' acceptance too? Well, those questions take us to our second reading, uh, sorry, second lesson. But before we learn that lesson, let me just read on a little bit. Verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Do you know that feeling when you're sitting down to relax, you're watching the television, you're watching it about ten minutes, and you think, I've seen this episode before. might take you a while, but you you eventually think, I recognise that bit, and I recognise that bit seen this before, it's a repeat. Well, maybe we get the same feeling with this next episode in Jesus' life because just one chapter ago, we saw Jesus heal all those who were ill in this massively big crowd and then he fed them with a miracle meal. But Matthew isn't repeating himself. He hasn't got an editor saying, you've got to get up to a certain word count, so he just repeats an episode. If we look very carefully, we'll see a number of important differences between this miracle and the one we saw a chapter ago, which show us that this miracle is a different miracle and it's designed to teach us a different lesson. So, this crowd, verse 32, have been with Jesus for three days, but the crowd he fed back in chapter 14 had only been with him for an afternoon. This time, the disciples don't suggest that Jesus sends the crowds away to a nearby villages. But in verse 33 they simply say, this is a remote place, we can't get enough bread here. In chapter 14 it's five loaves, two fish, here it's seven loaves and a few small fish. And the word used for baskets is different too, so in chapter 14 it's a very Jewish word for baskets, in chapter 15 it's a much more general word. And all that evidence proves to us that this is a separate miracle, not a repeat. And it's a meal with a totally different guest list. And the strongest evidence for that guest list comes before Jesus even feeds them in verse 31. Notice those words at the end. They praised the God of Israel. You see, a Jewish crowd wouldn't praise God like that. Because they were Israel. God was their God. They wouldn't speak about God like this. Now, Matthew wants us to understand that this great big crowd is a crowd full of undeserving outsiders. It's a Gentile crowd, and they are all receiving healing and blessing from Israel's Messiah, and they are praising Israel's God because he has accepted them. So the crowd gets it, but the disciples, as um, is often the case, are a bit slow on the uptake. And that is because they need to learn the second lesson which we need to get hold of too. The Messiah's mission offers God's acceptance to the world. The Messiah's mission offers God's acceptance to the world. Let me read those verses again. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Do you notice again how the disciples focus on their own inability to feed the crowd? Why didn't they say something like this? Hey Jesus, don't you remember what you did last week? There's only 4,000 here. This is a 20% easier miracle than the one you did. It's your job to feed them, not ours. Why didn't he say something like that? Well, I wonder if it is because this is a Gentile crowd, not a Jewish crowd. And maybe the disciples still believe in their hearts that these Gentiles are too far away from God. Sure, Jesus could feed a Jewish crowd with an extraordinary miracle, but surely he's not going to bless such a large number of Gentiles in the same way. He's not going to accept them, is he? Well, if that's what they're thinking, they couldn't have been more wrong. Verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So, along with all those in unnumbered healings, in verses 29 to 31, this miracle meal is a wonderful picture of Jesus' mission. He is Israel's Messiah. But he doesn't just come for the people of Israel. His mission is to, accept God, is to offer God's acceptance to the world. There is no one anywhere who can't receive it. So do we imagine that there are some people who are just too unworthy, too unlikely, too unreachable, too undeserving to be accepted by Jesus? Maybe it's a Muslim colleague or a Hindu colleague, or a staunch atheist in our family. Maybe it's all the middle class people we live around who seem to have everything totally together. Maybe it's working class people who just seem to have so much brokenness in their life. Maybe it's friends of ours who would call themselves lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender. Maybe it's people with a totally different political or social outlook to our own. We look at them and we think, they are just too far away. They're too far gone. Jesus will never accept them. Well, if, if, like the disciples, we sometimes think like that, we need to realize that we're wrong because the Messiah's mission offers God's acceptance to the world. Of course, that doesn't mean that there are no conditions on receiving that acceptance. So, the language of the miracle anticipates that meal that Jesus would eat the night before he died, as we will remember later in Bread and Wine. Jesus had to die in our place to make acceptance with God possible. We need to turn away from sin to receive his acceptance. But because that is Jesus' mission, it does mean that acceptance is possible for everyone. The undeserving crowd have begun to see that. And it's even clearer for us today as Paul made clear in that, second re- that first reading from Ephesians 2 where it says this Now in Christ Jesus you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ so you are no longer aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That is what has happened for you and me whenever we trust in Jesus' death for us. It is always an amazing moment in life, isn't it? To be accepted. But too often, our normal experience is the opposite. Rejection, not acceptance. But wonderfully, it's not like that with Jesus. His mission was to offer God's acceptance to the world. And we can be confident that that is anyone and everyone who trusts in him. And so if we're his people today, we can boldly, offer that acceptance to others no matter how unreachable no matter how undeserving no matter how unlikely it might seem and if you're here this morning and you know that that, that yet you are not yet one of his people and maybe a sense of guilt or shame or of being an outsider is upon you so much that you think I could never be accepted by him please remember that even undeserving outsiders can demand the Messiah's mercy if like this woman we come to Jesus in faith relying wholly on him demanding that mercy not because of who we are but because of who he is we can be sure he'll never turn us away and we can be sure that Jesus will say to us even the same thing as he said to that woman all those years ago you have great faith your request Is granted. Should we have a moment to reflect quietly ourselves or to pray these things through?